I ask that you would rejoice with me this morning knowing that there is nothing I can produce on my own. There is nothing I can offer God on my own. Uh, I've, I've contributed nothing to my salvation but the sin that made it necessary. And uh, I, I, I hope that you can rejoice with me uh, in the work and person of Jesus Christ. With that in mind, let us turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, it is a, a, a renowned psalm. Um, I've heard it quoted and, and um, read by religious men um, and even rappers. <laughs> so I've heard it everywhere. But let us look at it with fresh eyes in Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You will anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us go to our God and King for help before we hear the word. Precious Father, we thank you that you call us precious too. We are your beloved. We belong to you and you belong to us. This morning, we come with indifference. We come with bitterness. We come with rage while others come with joyful hearts and thanksgiving. Wherever we are today, God, thank you that we are welcome to the table by the blood of the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God. Jesus, you take away the sins of the world. You take away the sin of our heart and give us a renewed heart, your heart. Holy Spirit, as we hear your word, show us how we can receive it and then apply it to our brothers and sisters and to our neighbors and even to our enemies. It's in your gracious and matchless name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. The title of this morning's message is A Declaration of Total Dependence. A declaration of total dependence. Uh, it's only been about a couple months. We celebrated July 4th, or the 4th of July. And on July 4th, we celebrate the declaration of independence, correct? We, de we celebrate the declaration of independence. But here in the Psalm, Psalm 23, David is not making a declaration of America. He is not 
declaring how independent or self-sufficient or self-reliant or autonomous he is. David is declaring a declaration of total dependency. Listen to what he says again in Psalm 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. You could render it as well. You know, some people think that independence is the pathway to freedom. And in some instances, it is true, but not so with Christ. The pathway to true and unadulterated freedom is more dependence on God. The goal of parenting is what? To make your child independent. Right? That's the goal of parenting. That's the goal um, of my parents. My parents said, one day, Oma and Appa, one day, Mom and Dad will not be here anymore. And you will be on your own. We have to prepare you for that. So my mom and dad tried to make me independent and self-sufficient. As a good parent, should. But not so with our Heavenly Father, for he is an everlasting God. And the goal of our Father, the goal of our God, is to make us more and more and more dependent on him. Some of us have it backwards, or we get it twisted. And we think that if you are a mature Christian or a growing believer in Christ, then you should have it all together. You should have more fortitude, or you should be more composed, etc. But this is not what our Heavenly Father teaches. This is not what King David has taught us in this passage. Yes, the goal of parenting is to make totally dependent, make a totally dependent child into an independent adult. But the goal of God is to turn independent people, stubborn people, into helpless children that completely depend on Him. That is the goal of our Father. Sounds ludicrous. It sounds wild, but it is true. God's desire is to make mature men and women into helpless babes who have childlike faith. For God said, Jesus said, unless you have faith like a child, you will not see the kingdom of God. You will not. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous preacher, who is with the Lord now, once said, quote, There is no greater sin than to not see your need of Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, There is no greater sin than not to see your need of Christ. He goes on to say, There is nothing more abhorrent to God than that men and women should think that anything about them is sufficient to commend them to God. There is no greater sin 
than to refuse the Son of God and his sacrificial atoning death. End of quote. My desire for us is to lay aside the weight of self-preoccupation, to throw ourselves at God, to put all our weight upon him like we did on our bed last night. Last night, we literally put all of our weight upon our bed. We trusted that bed to hold us up all night, and it did. And that is the kind of helpless faith I want for myself and I want for you, for the glory of God. Some of you are aware of this, but for those who don't, I want you to understand the context, the historical background of uh, King David's psalm. He wrote this psalm not while he was on vacation, he, not while he was drinking a margarita, okay? He, he did not write the psalm while he was living in pleasant trees, living with pleasant trees. David actually wrote the psalm during perhaps the darkest period of his life. He was running like a fugitive. David was running for his life. But this time, it was not Saul. David was running from his own flesh and blood. He was running from his son, Absalom. Now, I have family problems. I'm sure you got family problems. But nobody in my family has tried to kill me. I've never tried to kill anyone in my family. But his, David was known as the greatest king of Israel, correct? But he failed at home. And let me tell you guys something. If you fail at home, you failed. You can get all the plaques and merits and awards you want. But if you fail at home, you failed. I've been to uh, Canton, Ohio, where the NFL Hall of Fame is. And I walk into that hall of these incredible athletes and superstar football players. But so many of them failed at home. Failed. Their children disgraced them and disowned them because the men first disowned and disgraced their family. Yes, David was a mighty warrior and a brilliant king, but he was a deadbeat dad. He was a deadbeat dad because his son Absalom tried to wipe him out. See, Absalom wanted to wear the crown. But in order to wear the crown, you got to chop off the head. So he was gunning after his father. And there's a whole um, narrative to that. In 2 Samuel 15, you can read on your own time. But I want you to understand that David never felt worse in his own life. His own son was plotting a way to overthrow him and supplant him as ruler. Imagine the heartache. No wonder he wrote this psalm and it remains contemporaneous, remains relevant. It is timeless. The psalm's internal pain relates to anyone who feels lonely, disappointed, and betrayed. 
How could David write a psalm of loyal adoration and praise during a time like this? Let me tell you. Because he knew God. You know what I find so fascinating and impressive about David? He didn't have a Bible. Correct? He did not have a Bible. So compared to me, David knew very little about God. So little compared to me. But boy, did he apply it. Boy, did he believe it. David puts my faith to shame. He believed. What little he knew about God compared to me, compared to us, he believed. The Lord is my shepherd. I am safe with him. There is no safer place than in the will of God. David believed that. Even while everything was falling apart, the main idea of the sermon today is that God is a good shepherd. He sure is. God is a good shepherd, and he promises a personal relationship with those who depend on him. That is the condition. Not strength, not guile, not intelligence, dependence. That is the condition for a relationship with God. God promises a personal relationship with those who depend on him because he is a good shepherd. In other words, David is saying, my identity determines my activity. My identity, I'm a sheep, bah, right? My identity determines my activity. When I was younger, I always thought, God, why do you compare me, why do you compare human beings to sheep? We are your masterpiece. We are the pinnacle of your creation. Why do you compare me to sheep? Sheep are ugly. I'm not ugly. <laughs> sheep are dumb. I'm not dumb, right? Sheep are aimless. Okay, sometimes I am too. But you know why God compares us to sheep? Not because we're dumb, not because we're ugly, because we're not but because we are needy. We are needy. I am needy. I pretend I am not to gain your respect. <laughs> but I am needy. Ask my wife. I am needy. I'm a needy man. So the first thing I want you guys to see is that God, the good shepherd, promises to be my personal provider. He is my provider. David says in verses 1 through 3, let me read this again. The Lord is my shepherd. He provides for me. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. God takes care of his physical needs in verse 2. The green pastures. In the second part of verse 2, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So the, the inner and outer man, as Pastor Young was talking about yesterday afternoon, God, God provides for those things that David has no needs because he needs God. 
The word need is a, is a word that only creatures use. You know that? Only creatures use the word need. I need this. I need that. But you know who never uses the word need and never has to? Creator. Creator God needs nothing. Only God is self-sufficient. God has never uttered the word need until he went to the cross. God needs nothing. My friends, I, say it, I said it to you once, and I must say it to you again. The truth is that while God doesn't need us, he still wants us. We desperately need God, but we don't really want him most of the time. We want to visit a, a great restaurant, or we want to watch a hot movie, or meet a celebrity. But we need God. God provides everything David needs because God doesn't need a thing. And David knows this about God. Do you know this about God? Do you know this about God? Do you believe this about God? That he needs nothing. God didn't create you because he needed company. He was fine all by himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We need God. David knows that he needs many things. He needs his family back. He needs the respect of his children. He needs his kingdom restored. He needs his dignity back. There's a lot. He wants his bed. But he says, God over everything. I need him. I need him. He's what I need. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, you don't have to turn there, but please listen. Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Some of us are struggling financially. Some of us are struggling um, with our health. Last night, I found out that my lead pastor uh, at St. Paul's Presbyterian Church uh, may have experienced a stroke. You know, we all have needs, different needs. And so if you have financial needs or, or physical needs or mental needs, go to the Father. He will take care of you. And go to his people, us. We will fail in trying to take care of you. But by God's grace, we will try. 
All we got is each other. All we need is Christ and his people. But David was all alone. And we see that in verse 4. This is the part where David tells us that not only is the good shepherd my personal provider, in verse four, five, verses 4 and 5, David tells us that the good shepherd is also my personal protector and healer. He's my personal protector and healer. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let me, let me stop right there. Uh, when I was uh, much younger, uh, as some of you guys know that, that has been with us throughout the retreat, I worked in the inner city of Baltimore. That's where I'm from, from Baltimore City. And one night after work, I was walking to my car. And for some peculiar reason, I had a lot of money on me. I had, I had, I had bills, right? I had stacks in my pocket. And while I was walking to my car, two kids run up on me, two teenagers run up on me. And one of them had a gun. And he pointed the gun at me. And he said, give me everything you have. There's a stick-up. There's a stick-up, boys. And so I looked at them, and I, and I observed as quickly as I could in the small amount of time I had, that window opportunity. And I could tell they were nervous. I could tell it was their first time. <laughs> I could tell. I was like, this is your first time. This is your first time, dog. I could tell your knees are wobbly, right? Arms are heavy, right? I was like, man, it's your first time. And so I looked at the kids. You know, yeah, they had a gun. It wasn't very big, though. But they had a gun. And, and I looked at them, and I said, I'm not giving you my money. You're going to have to shoot me. And I walked away. That's the stupidest thing I've ever done. <laughs> That's the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. But I had a lot of money on me, right? So I was like, I'm not giving you my money. You're going to have to shoot me. And I walked away. You know, yeah, I like to think I'm rough, rugged, and raw. But after I, I got in my car, I started trembling when I, when I realized what I had just done. That I had risked my life for money. I was ready to squander my life for a few hundred dollars. The stupidest thing I've ever done. And I can't recall feeling more alone in that moment, isolated. You know, David's a lot different than me, at least by faith. Because David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even with a barrel on my face, I will fear no evil. Not because I'm rough, rugged, and raw, but because, oh God, you are with me. I hope you find this encouraging. Um, but when you look at verses 1 through 3, David refers to God in third person, correct? He 
leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down. He restores my soul, right? But when the lights go out in verse 4, he speaks of God in second person. You are with me. Do you know why that is? Because when the lights go out, God draws near. God draws near. We do, not, we do not draw near to God in our moments of crisis and desperation and misery. It is God who draws near. It is he who comforts me. David says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I am, I am awfully refreshed that David mentions not only the staff and the comforting of God, but the rod. Because a staff is an instrument of notable comfort. But he also mentions the rod, an instrument of discipline and punishment and correction. Nevertheless, whether it is not your fault or it is all your fault, God draws near. That's good news. Some of you guys in our situation where it's all your fault. You have nobody to blame but yourself. You're like David, right? It's all your fault. It's your fault you're in this. That's what you get. But then some of you, it's not your fault. It might be mostly your parents' fault. It might be mostly your husband's fault. It might be mostly your wife's fault. It could be your children's fault. But no matter your circumstance, when you walk down the alley, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when the lights go out, God draws near, and he will use the staff and the rod to comfort you. Because let me tell you something about my childhood. My dad did not spend a lot of time with me because he was working too much. And this sounds dysfunctional, because perhaps it is, but when I look back on my childhood, my most precious moments with my father are when he beat my tail. And I now know he loved me. That's how I know he loved me. Because he would come home from work, he was tired and beat up, but he had time and the strength to beat me. Oh, how he loved me. Oh, how he loves me. <laughs> My friends, family, sometimes God allows you to go through the consequence. He lets you eat the fruit of your labor and the, cons- and, and the fruit of your mistakes. But it's not because he doesn't love you. Oh, he loves you. And he comforts you there. David shows us that the rod and the staff Comfort me in the shadow of death. You know, another thing um, that that David is is showing us about God, the protector, he's also a healer. He's also a healer. Because in verse 5, he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You know, when I read that verse, 
I've probably read it like a hundred times. I kind of just glaze over it or gloss over it, I should say. I kind of like gloss over it. I'm like, yeah, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runneth over. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. But then I thought about it a little bit more because I had to preach it. (laughs) I thought about it a little bit more. I was like, wait a minute. God prepares a party, a banquet, and he doesn't invite my friends. He doesn't invite my family. He invites my enemies. And I said, what kind of party is this? Why would God throw me a surprise birthday party, throw David a banquet, and leave out everyone that loves me, and only invite people that hate me? In the presence of my enemies, David says, you prepare a table before me. Why did God do that for David? Because he wants to heal him. He wants to heal David. But in order to heal someone, in order for a doctor to heal you, you must show the physician your wounds. You must expose yourself. David needs to see his wounds. He needs to step into the light because he's been living in the dark way too long. Healing occurs when you have to revisit history. You think about all the mean and ruthless statements of your mother and father. They probably didn't mean it. They said it out of anger, but it lingers, right? I remember my mom and dad used to get so angry at me because, you know, I was a bad boy. I was, I was you know, I was a gangpe. Um, and I was such a bad boy. My mom and dad would get so infuriated with me. They would say things like, we wish we never had you. I'm like, wow, you wish you had an abortion? They didn't mean it, but sometimes things come out and they go deep. They, 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 they get planted and, and develop very, very deep roots. So I don't know who was at this table, at David's table, but I'm sure Absalom, this is all his imagination, of course, it's not literal, it's figurative. I'm sure Saul was at that table. I'm sure Absalom was at that table. I'm sure all the haters and the naysayers were at that table. When I first became a preacher at age 19, everyone laughed at me. When I evangelized to my high school friends, I got saved at age 16, and I just started evangelizing to my high school friends. I lost all my friends because I evangelized to them. I'm not kidding. I lost almost all my friends because I shared Christ with them. But you know what? In the presence of my enemies, in the presence of my enemies, people who rejected me because of Christ or because I'm Korean or because of, well, sometimes they did it because I'm a jerk, but all the people that rejected me, God brings them to the table and he takes oil that's unfit 
for a sheep. That oil is probably worth more than the sheep. And he takes that oil and he anoints the head of the sheep. And that unworthy sheep, its heart explodes. Do you know why? Because God is the lifter of your head. He is your healer. Because it is so embarrassing sometimes to show my mother and father how much money I have in the bank account. They're like, we did not come to this country so you can make less money than us and follow Jesus. But God is the lifter of my head. Even my own family members laughed at me when I followed Jesus. But David understands that God is not only protector, but he is healer. Because frankly, there are some things in life that are worse than death. You, there are some things in your, there are some places in your life that you would rather die than have to look at again. Hence why people commit suicide, people give up, because they lose hope. I shared last night that I was sexually molested when I was young. And guess what? I ran into the molester a couple years ago. And this verse became so real to me. In the presence of God prepared a table, in the presence of my enemy, the guy that ruined my life, or so I thought. But you know, when I saw the, my, the guy that molested me, I loved him. I asked him out to lunch. Now he pretended like nothing happened, but he knew and I knew what happened. But I wanted to share Christ with him. And I could only do that because God healed me. If I was still wounded, I would have punched him in the mouth and dragged him somewhere and maybe killed him. I'm not kidding. I am capable of such things. I sure am. But because God had healed me, when I saw him, I wanted to share Christ with him. Because God is my protector. God is my provider. And he is my healer. And last but not least, we see in verse 6 that God is my purpose and meaning in life. David says, God, the good shepherd, is my personal purpose and meaning in life. Listen to what he says in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David is homeless. David is living like a fugitive. He feels like an orphan. But you know what he's telling us? The best is yet to come. Because of God, the best is yet to come. You know what I would have said to David if he said that to me while he's homeless? You fool, moron, idiot. He says the best is yet to come. I have hope. Because God is my purpose and meaning in life. Not being king, not being father, not being husband, not being a warrior, but God 
is the purpose and meaning of my life. As some of you guys know, I'm struggling because I moved to Atlanta uh, a month ago. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, and um, I moved here a month ago, and I'm homesick. I miss Baltimore. If you've been there, you're probably wondering why. <laughs> but I miss Baltimore, right? Because it's home. I lived there for 38 years. But you know what I realized in marriage? Baltimore's not home anymore. My wife, Nikki, is home. And wherever she is, that is home. The point is, home is not a zip code. Home is not a city. Home is not a residence. Home is relationship. Meaning, the meaning of life comes from relationship. And I know all of us have failed relationship, whether it's divorce, whether it's estrangement. We all have failed relationship. David had failed relationship. But he says, my meaning and purpose in life does not come from these human relationships. Home, meaning, and purpose comes from a relationship with God. He says, most certainly, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Relentlessly pursue me all the days of my life. For I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's homeless. And he says, but I got a home with God. Remember what Jesus said? Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was homeless too. Home for him was the love of the Father. That was home for him. And on the cross, Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Unlike David, when Jesus walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he went alone. When Jesus walked through the valley of shadow of death, he was orphaned. When Jesus walked through the valley of the shadow of death, there was no rod, there was no staff, there was only a rod. He was punished for our sins. He was punished because we couldn't depend on him. Have you ever thought of your sin that way? It's not just adultery or pornography or greed. Your inability to depend on God is why Jesus was crucified on that tree. Jesus depended on God perfectly, and he was punished for it. But now... We don't depend on God perfectly. And yet, because of the blood of Christ, we are loved as if we are perfect. We are loved as if all we've done is obey and we've never disobeyed. We are his beloved. God is the true 
shepherd. And he laid his life down for the sheep. In John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. They know my voice, and I call them by name. My friends, do you know him? You may know Psalm 23, but do you know the shepherd? A lot of people know this psalm. But do you know the shepherd of the psalm? There is an eternal, a vast difference. I invite you to bow your head with me and pray. For God has spoken to us in the most profound way. On the cross, Jesus said to us, I will adjust to you. I will change for you. I'll serve you, though it means I lay down my life. I will lose my relationship with God. I will lose the only thing that matters to me, my need for God, my relationship with God. Some of us are struggling with our faith. It's because we don't want to lose independence, right? We think Christianity is dehumanizing. I'm not a sheep. Yes, you are. Compared to God, you are just a sheep. And you must lose independence to obtain great intimacy. This is what I've learned in marriage and in my relationship with Christ. You must lose independence to gain great intimacy. Please stop trying harder. Please don't do more good. But please depend more on God. Cast all your anxiety upon him for he cares for you. I'm going to give you a moment to pray about that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Holy Father, we thank you again that you so loved the world that you sent your one and only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish or want, but be satisfied with eternal life. Jesus, you told your disciples that we will have sorrow now, but you will see us again and our hearts will rejoice and no one will take away that joy from us. Lord, we anticipate your return. You are coming back. But until then, teach us how to cling to you in our times of need and want and selfishness. Father, forgive us for not wanting you. Forgive us for not wanting your son. But he who is the son gets everything. Help us to believe in that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.